Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I'm your host, Ben Myers. I'm here with the one, the only, Steve Cameron. How's it going, Steve? Ben, I got to tell you, it's going, uh, but I don't know if it's going great, but it's going. Still locked in, stuck at home, a little frustrated with the whole uh, process here, but Listen, I, 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 I guess when I when I dig deep down, I can't complain. We're fortunate, and uh, you know, I'm healthy. I'm happy. We have uh, we work in a great industry, and and there's a lot of positives going on. So I was reminded on a call before uh, we started this recording, just to focus on the positives, and I think that's what we need to do, right, Ben? Of course, you know, you uh, you drive by and you see the 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 size of these camps growing on the parks in the city of Toronto and it uh, and certainly makes you sad and you think of the the benefits that, that we have and and uh, complaining that you can't go to the bar and drink or you can't go on vacation it uh, kind of uh, um, it's it's limited and it's uh, in our little uh, you know our tiny violins right in comparison to what else is going on in, in, in the in the uh, in the world but anyways yeah, you are right you're right we got we gotta we gotta remind everyone to stay stay positive focus on the positives but I also think we have to remind everyone to you know speak out in the right ways to the right people and you know, if we don't think that at some level the uh, the government is doing what they need to do. We we need to maybe help them out a little bit. Maybe write a letter, offer our words of uh, encouragement, and potentially we get this uh, the city the city open again. I maybe. think we got to open up. Maybe. Well, what do you we're, think? We're, we're we're heading in that right. We're heading in that direction. All right. Are so, we? I think are we? we are. We're, we're 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 getting there. We're getting there. Right. I, I sometimes uh, think we might be going backwards, but we could have a whole podcast about that. <laughs> anyways, talking, anyways. About, talking about things that get you ahead in life, Nizo Studios, the award-winning Nizo Studios, is the sponsor of the Toronto Under Construction podcast. And they are the premier one-stop digital studio for all your architectural visualization and scale model needs. Nizo can also help market your project and launch your sales center physically or virtually. Visit nizostudios.com and ask about LiveSite, their virtual sales center software. It's the media darling, taking the building's industry sales process by storm. How about that for a segue into our wonderful sponsor at Nizo? So thank them and visit their site. So, Steve, we have a guest. Talking about, talking about taking the industry by storm what a segue into today's guest uh consummate professional our guest today has made a name for herself in a male-dominated industry as president of her own real estate development firm spotlight developments inc the boutique firm specializes in the acquisition of properties for development into high density residential and mixed-use projects in toronto and surrounding areas for sherry it is most important that all the Spotlight Development's projects have a focus on affordable and healthy living, providing support for the communities in which they are situated. Sherry began her career by working as a designer at a luxury architecture firm in Toronto, and she soon developed a passion for transitioning un underdeveloped land into livable spaces and found herself most comfortable standing 
on construction sites amidst all of the action. By building relationships with top developers in the city, Sherry has laid the groundwork for future partnerships and collaborations. Current projects include a mixed-use building with Liberty Developments and various residential redevelopment projects in Toronto, Richmond Hill, Vaughan, Newmarket, and Ajax. But Wiley, hear it from me when we can hear it from her. Sherry, welcome Hello, to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. No problem. So Sherry, we like to start the show usually with a little bit of history. Give us a little bit of background on yourself, uh, how you got started, maybe where you went to school, and how you ended up in, in this, uh, like I said in the intro, uh, male-dominated industry running your own boutique development firm. So... Um I uh, basically started by studying architecture at Ryerson University. And uh, when I finished school, I uh, started working at architectural firms because I thought that was the way to go, right? To become um, an architect and a designer. And I started working for um, one of the good architects at that time who, who was designing luxury homes. Um, and, you know, I was, as they say, a cat monkey sitting in front of the computer designing and drawing up plans that he was, I wasn't actually, I should say I was designing, I was just drawing everything that he was designing. So I was basically, um, you know, working for him and um, it, it just wasn't something that was, that was working for me. I wasn't happy and I needed to get out. Uh, I, I was passing by construction sites and I constantly saw myself being on a construction site and building the homes that I was designing and I was hoping to design. I was lucky enough to be able to um, get out of those offices and actually start on my own. And I started by buying a piece of land um, in Toronto, in Villadale West. And I um, designed the, the house and I got the permits and I started building it and I started to manage the construction on site. And uh, while I was doing that, again, I started to you know, look for more opportunities and other opportunities around the city to buy uh, more single family home uh, sort of lands to build and I started to get clients and, and you know, I built a business out of that. But it just, um, I always had my eyes on something, you know, a higher goal, which was to get into land development or as I understood doing, you know, bigger projects, which was townhouses, semis or anything that had a higher density. Uh, so, you know, I kept on pushing through. I started to buy, look for more sites or things that were affordable for me at that point to buy and to potentially redevelop or do bigger projects. And then um, as I sort of grew my business, um, I started to look at sites that were suitable for a condo site. And I bought my first condo site. And that's how I got myself through the door to speak to other developers and to basically start by building, um, you know, condos and looking at lands for condo development. Um, and here I am. Perfect. Well, let, let, let's take a quick step back. I know that there's a lot of uh, young people that listen to the show and, and maybe inspiring developers themselves that are that are working for a developer. How did you fund that first purchase, that first lot that you that you bought? Uh, yes, that's actually a very good question. The first uh, project that I got uh, because it was a single family home. Um, and obviously it was a residential house. We were able to get funding for a residential single family home from a bank. And we, uh, I, again, I was lucky enough that I had a family, especially my father-in-law who believed in 
um, as he says, my abilities, and he funded the rest of the project. And he said, go build this house. Um, I believe in you, and uh, let's see how you do. So um, I think I was lucky in that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, going back to your question, for any young, aspiring um, developers or builders out there, that's one of the difficult parts or dif difficult tasks, getting financing and, and, and you know, getting the money behind you to be able to get projects done or to buy, you know, more land or do more projects is always a difficult, difficult task, I should say. When you were building uh, some of these custom homes, what was your favorite part about uh, designing the house and <clears throat> what would be one of the, some of the favorite features you'd put in, in the house that you were designing that you thought would differentiate your house from some of the other single family home uh, luxury home builders? I can't tell you if the design of the actual floor plans were something that was different because at the same time that I was thinking about the design of the house, I had to think about the fact that I had to sell this and this was an investment, right? So in order for it to be uh, something that I could market and I could sell, I had to be um, sort of having um, an investor's cap on as well as a, a designer. So it was sort of... Uh, a, not, I wasn't very creative with the floor plans and the layouts, but I, what I could be creative with and I was, was doing uh, different designs, like doing kitchens differently, doing using a different material for the kitchens or designing staircases in a different way. And that actually got me to get featured at that time in a couple of Toronto Home Magazine. Um, so a couple of my homes actually got featured in those magazines just because of the special features. Let's say a staircase that was designed by wood or um, a kitchen that had a different kind of cabinet. So those were the things that I could do at that time. And those are those were the things that I focused on when I was doing single family. Nice. And I guess the question is, are you living in one of your own homes? I was, uh, and so were my in-laws actually, but we got, we sold them all. And now I'm, I'm, I'm living in a house that was built by someone else, but the in, in, interiors are designed. Nice. <laughs> Uh, you got you to live in your own house. If you're if you're going to be building custom homes, I mean, no better way to sell one than to be living in one and hosting people, let them come see the work. So, so tell you, us about, uh, sorry, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I was just going to say, so you, you decided to move on from from single families to, you know, uh, uh, sites with, with multiple units. Did you intend to to build them like, like customized homes or did you just think, okay, I'm just going to do cookie cutter type product and and build a bunch of townhomes. What was what was your thought process when you were looking at your first first uh, multiple sites? Yeah, but I haven't built a single family home in the past four four years, four or five years. So, you know, unless I go and, to be honest with you, um, yes and no. Um, I can't say I miss it um, that much because dealing with the construction crew on site as fun as it was, it got frustrating at some points because, you know, punctuality is something that you can't find in the construction business. Like, you, they call you, they'll be there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I used to be there at 6 o'clock pretending like, you know, I'm, I'm such a good supervisor, I'm here before all of you, and it would be 9 o'clock in the morning, and I would be sitting in my car on my third coffee, and no one was there. You know what I mean? And I had to be calling them and looking for them. So... Yeah, it wasn't. It was the. It wasn't that part. Wasn't fun, but seeing the house actually get built, um, and you know, for it all to come together was absolutely satisfying, and it was just 
amazing. So I miss that part of it because, you know, the difference between doing a condo and doing a single family home is that it takes so much longer for you to actually see any of the development sites that, you know, you turn into a, a condo or anything else come to fruition. But when you design and build a house, you know, it happens within a year and you see the end product after a year. So, um, yes, I miss that. The thing is, it wasn't just how I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it in a way where, you know, wow, I'm going to design the most beautiful, uh, you know, innovative townhouse where I'm going to build the, my condo in such a um, different way. But, you know, reality kicks in at some point and you actually have to sort of answer back to people who are investing on your projects or investing in you and there are ROIs that you gotta talk about and there are returns on investment and there are all these things that you gotta you gotta sort of um, think about that makes you not necessarily be thinking about the design only but also think about all the other things and all, all the other parameters that are involved in the business of development. Uh, however, I do still try to get some of those ideas or some of those features that I thought were interesting or, um, you know, the things that I thought were missing in buildings and actually bring them into my projects as much as I can, obviously. It's interesting. See, see. So what was the first site you bought and uh, how's, how did that sort of assembly or, or development site catapult into some of the bigger ones you're working on now? So the first condo site you're asking, right? Yeah. So the first condo site um, I actually bought was uh, the beer store site on River Street, um, downtown Toronto. So uh, the site came to me uh, through uh, people that uh, sort of that I knew in not necessarily in the industry, but in the real estate industry that brought it to my attention. And um, I again, I was very eager to get into this business, and uh, the only way I thought about doing it was to actually uh, buy the land and to secure the land and then to figure out the rest later, to be honest with you. I obviously didn't have many um, experience in the condo world, so I had to start somewhere. And it's not like you can just knock at a door of a developer and say, well, you know what, you know, can I work for you or can I learn from you? Um, and, you know, I had to sort of earn my way towards doing that. So I bought that site on my own and <laughs> I started looking for partners. Uh, at that point I had um, a previous relationship with uh, Liberty Development. I had met them on, on, on different sites and I knew them through friends and family. And um, I was obviously speaking to them for a partnership and a couple of other developers in the city, which I am still to this day friends with most of them. And uh, they're, they've been my mentors uh, throughout the whole process of me growing my business. So I, wherever I went, everybody was telling me that, you know what, the beer store site is too small. Although to me, it looked like a condo and it was like a huge project and a huge undertaking. To them, it was too small of a project. So uh, the challenge was sort of brought on to me to say, you know what, how do, how do I make the site bigger? How do I make it so that it would be more appealing to these big developers that are doing so many large condo sites in, in Toronto so that I can actually, you know, have a partnership with them. So there, at that time I knew that there's a building next to um, the beer store site that could possibly be available for sale. You know, uh, I had heard from people here and there that the owner of that building is extremely difficult and I was warned. But um, I usually 
life challenges. And I, you know, to me, it, it was even more appealing at that time when I heard that the seller was a difficult seller. So I started pursuing him and uh, it took me only a year to convince him to sell to me. <laughs> and after there's, a year- there, There's more of the story though, Sherry. Oh. You got to tell us the uh, the details that went into sort of striking the final deal because it, it's, just it's one of those stories about that, that mixes luck and hard work and a little bit of persistence, tenacity, and then a little bit more luck, right? Uh, I think that if you, if you put all those in a, in a pot, that, that's a that's how you get deals done. Yes, I, I will talk about that. But and I do I do believe that there was some luck involved there as well, for sure. So uh, as I was pursuing this um, seller of this building, you know, I was uh, also speaking to other people and telling them about the potential of being able to, uh, you know, add these two sites together and do a larger site and the potential of being able to do you know, a few hundred thousand square feet of, of, you know, buildable building on this beautiful corner. And um, this guy had asked me before when we were starting to not talk about the fact that he's even talking to me or or, asked, or, or potentially interested in selling it to me at the price that he was, um, he was asking for, which was, you know, at that point to me crazy high. So I, I said, sure, no problem. But I was disclosing this to, you know, some of the people that I was, potentially going to be partnered with um, at the end of the day after I had secured this, this piece of property. And the word had gotten to his ears that, you know, so-and-so, which is Sherry, had said that she is buying your property. So he picks up the phone, and this is right before Christmas break. He picks up the phone and he calls me in. And the first thing he does, he starts yelling at me. He's like, Sherry, I told you not to tell anybody. I'm what did you do? You've got to run and talk to everybody about it. And I said, I'm sorry. And he's like, you better be. If you even offer me a hundred million dollars right now, I will not sell you this property. I said, okay. I said, okay, don't call me. I said, okay. And he hung up the phone on me. I said, okay, it's before the Christmas break. He's going to go, you know, for his break. He's going to have fun. He's going to relax and unbind. And then I'm going to go back to him after the Christmas break. And, you know, I'm going to give him an offer and see how it works because, you know, by that time he's probably got enough rest and, you know, he's, he's probably yeah, going to settle down a little bit, you know, <laughs> get some uh, vitamin D and just uh, yes. drink a couple cocktails and relax. <laughs> so we decided to go on a family vacation with a group of 18 friends and family and all. And we go to Mexico. 18 friends and family? And, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of friends. This is before... <laughs> before COVID when people are allowed to do these things. Before COVID, I don't so, even yeah. think I had 18 friends. <laughs> so uh, we're there and, you know, I, I'm just walking towards the uh, buffet to get my son some fries and guess who I see coming down the stairs? The owner of that building. No. And then I actually call him out and I say, uh, you know, so and so, and he looks at me and I said, Are you ready to yell at me? And he looks at me and he says, Oh, hi, Sherry, you look good. What are you doing here? I said, The same thing you're doing. And I said, um, So, you know, you're not angry at me anymore? And he says, Come back after the break and then I'll sign your offer. I said, Are you serious? And he's like, Yes. So the first thing I do right after the holidays are over is call this guy and he actually keeps his word and he actually signs the offer. 
and uh, I ended up having uh, my first condo site, um, which at that point, it started to get a lot of attention when I had it secured. Um, and I had a lot of people that were saying, you know, they would like to partner. And I honestly had a liberty at that point, step up uh, fully and, you know, uh, come in um, and, you know, do a partnership with me. And, um, you know, I'm thankful to them, obviously. Um, I'm still partners with them. And, um, you know, that's how I basically started on my first site. A little so just to recap, just to recap, persistence, 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 kept calling, 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 negotiating. Here's my number, sign back, sign back. And then ultimately the word gets out. Obviously you're looking for capital partners in the industry. So people get talking and he gets word that you're talking to capital partners or, or JV partners. And he says, forget it. I'm not selling you the site because he doesn't like that for whatever reason, which I guess in some ways, that's his prerogative. He's entitled to that opinion. Whether it's right or wrong is is neither here nor there. You cut ties. You both go independently to Mexico on vacation with your families. And of the 17,000 resorts in Mexico, you end up at the same resort <laughs> in the same buffet yes, line to get French yes. fries. So did you did, did you have a drink with them at no, least? No, but I'll tell you something funny. Because I was sitting um, at a bar with uh, another a very good partner mentor and my lawyer, and we were having beer. And this lady uh, who worked for one of the tenants in my building, in the current building that we own at 550 Queen Street, came there because we, you know, we were going to do business with her organization. And then she started sitting there, and I didn't know their offices in the building because I hadn't looked at the, 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 honestly, their name or the name of her company it was more the work that she was doing. So, uh, she, uh, you know, we started talking about the location and she's like, uh, yeah, my office is right at uh, the intersection of Queen River. And I said, oh my God, where? She's like, I said, oh my God, that's, you know, my building. And she's like, oh my God, you're the Mexico girl. I said, but it was just the funniest thing that's ever good. because I was like, the Mexico girl, yes, I did end up getting the deal done in Mexico, but you know, it's just uh, the, the context that it was obviously, uh, you know, I guess presented differently. But yes, um, it was just while I was getting French fries and he was, you know, getting his dinner. So no, I actually didn't have a drink with him. Nice. And so, and so, how are the how are the approvals going on that on that side? I think at some point in time. That site came by my desk when it was just just the beer store, and 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 yeah, everyone was viewing it as a small mid-rise development. So so what are, what are your current plans for for that project? So there's two ways we can look at this. My current plans and what the city is planning on allowing me to do. <laughs> there are two different visions completely. Uh, my vision was to do uh, you know looking at this corner being such a beautiful corner asking for a promenade for the design, uh, you know, having this whole open front to it where this building could be viewed while you're going on the bridge, coming towards the west side and, you know, looking at it from the south, north, from every angle, a 25-story building, um, you know, and so much more. And then I go to the city and, you know, they basically crashed all of my dreams and they said, sorry, can't do any of the things you want to do. You got to stick to what we want. And um, what they want is, is giving us a, a lot of hard time. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. That's what's called development, I guess, in, in, in Toronto. Um, and we all know, you know, 
<laughs> that we have to deal with in one way or another. So uh, our vision is that at this point to hopefully do a settlement with the city and to be able to push the project through and um, you know to the finish line. But uh, obviously very different from my vision, my original. There's obviously one of the issues there is it's a, it's a large, uh, is it a historic office building? I'm not sure if it's historic or not, but either way, you have, I think you have a historic uh, or sort of heritage to deal with. Totally touched it. The moment we started looking at the site, then they realized that this could actually be a heritage building. And then they did Right. Okay, so you have, you have to deal with heritage, and then you also have to deal with the office replacement, I believe. So how are you getting around that? What is the sort of the design? Is it a, a podium on the existing structure and a tower on top? Is that what it's you're actually, thinking? It's not. As I said, our design was very much dictated by the city. Um, the, the, all the constraints that they put on us um, sort of dictated the massing of the building. Um, we have a very fat podium going all the way up. Um, and um, we have uh, the office replacement is a good sort of conversation piece, especially during this crazy time that we're in. Um, yes, there is an office replacement component, but I guess, uh, you know, we're hopeful that the city will be allowing us to sort of not completely replace it, but do a little less. Again, these are all ongoing conversations. I'm not sure how much I am allowed to, to talk about, but. Um, you know, there is also the heritage factor that we have to deal with, and yes, we have been dealing with that as well. You know, challenge after challenge, let's just put it that way, you know. That's it. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I look at obviously what they're doing in, in Regent Park, and they're adding tall towers there. You know, Broccolini is adding tall towers. Uh, you know, there's there's other projects by TAS that are, that are going tall farther up the street, and then Obviously, you've got the a couple of the River City projects that Urban Capital did that are fairly tall. You've got you know you got a streetcar right there. It just only makes sense that you would you would put uh, high density in those those locations. I mean, I'm doing I'm doing um, a lot of work with Baker Real Estate now, and uh, I was just looking at a a uh, aerial photo of the next project that they're selling. You know, um, Canary House and how low rise the entire. <laughs> You know, West Donlands is and what a, you know, and Steve and I have talked about this in the podcast, how much of a, a massive waste that is in terms of uh, in terms of taking this giant space where there's no neighbors to complain. There's no heritage on the site. There is there is nothing there to 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 really have people push back against in terms of heights. And uh, they want it human scale, whatever that means, as if I look up at a building that's eight stories and feel, say, you know what, this feels very this feels so human-like, you know. Oh, a tall, tall tower? No, very unhuman. I don't know at what point it stops being human-sized building and starts being an unhuman-sized <laughs> building. I don't I think. I, tw I think I tweeted about this I, this morning. You know I was so I, frustrated. I think I'm going to take Ben with me to our next city, to our next meeting with the city, because that's yeah. just right there. Like, basically, talks about all of our problems because there isn't any justification for anything that's that's being you know, sort of enforced on us as far as our site. And I tell you, like, um, you know, I, I sometimes question things, and this might actually get me in trouble. So the restriction that the heritage, let's say, is putting on us, and I ask for, you know, where did this number come from? And they're like, well, it's arbitrary. How can you have an arbitrary number, or arbitrary setback, or arbitrary number of floors? 
that's just not how it should work. There has to be some sort of um, guidelines for everything that they enforce on a certain project. And unfortunately, that's not happening. And, you know, I don't think you want to get me started complaining about the city because then I should just... Absolutely. Let's go. I should just close my office door and, you know, just declare bankruptcy right now and go because no city is going to give me any approvals from here on. Um, yeah. No, they don't. The city doesn't listen. So let's keep yeah, that. Yeah. It up. I, I, I don't think the planners like me very much. So I don't know if they're listening to my podcast. I make fun of them all the time with their... Uh, with their attempt at economics and uh, in understanding development, and uh, <laughs> so, anyways, I don't, I don't think though, it's very unfortunate, I, especially now that we're talking about you know um, the lack of uh, that that there's there's demand for housing, whether it is affordable or not. If you make it more possible for developers to do to do higher density buildings and to be able to to build more units, they become more affordable automatically no matter what, because we don't have to be sticking to a certain selling price or a certain pr price per square feet that makes the project so much more expensive. We could actually sell it for cheaper, which becomes more affordable. But the more restrictions they put on us, the, the more difficult it becomes for us to be able to financially make sense of a project. And, you know, it just it restricts us as to how, how much we can offer the project for. So I, I think it works hand in hand. There, the reason that we are having so much problem with um, the housing uh, and affordability and all of that, I think it has a root and it comes from somewhere where it needs to be looked at before we look at everything else. And the fact that why aren't developers offering affordable housing and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? Um, I think if... Um, you give them if you give developers more opportunities um, and work with them. I think we won't have any issues uh, you know, of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast several times, but I'm going to mention it again because it, it always it always helps. Is is I do you know market studies for developers, and they come with, they come to me and 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 ask me for for my 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 thoughts on the market and and the value of their project. And I often give it to them, and they come back and say, Ben, I can't, I have no project at that number right like dcs are up uh land costs are up this this and this are up right i need to push the pricing ben what can i charge you know that's not going to um you know uh, totally you know destroy my absorption here um so it's called it's called cost push inflation there is no market rate going market rate these developers have to continue to push to be able to make the margins that they they need to make for Steve to give them money. So Steve's not going to give you money if you come with a project that's making no <laughs> that has no profit, right? So that that is a that just needs to continually be uh, pushed out there in in, in the marketplace. That uh, when costs go up, then you know everything goes up, and, uh, and it's a, it's definitely an inflationary uh, inflationary environment. And, you know the other th it's interesting you said it too when costs go up and. You talk about like an arbitrary number associated with you know the heritage group and what they're going to tell you, you need to use anyway. I just I just listen to this and I can't help but thinking like all this results in is more time and more time that these projects take, the more expensive they get, and the delays only get passed on. The cost of the delays only get passed on ultimately to the buyer. Like it's it's not conducive to an affordable community on any level to have projects get stuck four years in planning because it is it, it just it's it's not to it's you know we talk a lot about win-win-win at our 
an organization, like a win for the company, a win for our borrower, a win for our investor. But when I hear these stories, you know, it's it's a lose-lose. Like it's a lose for the city, it's a lose for the developer, it's a lose for the ultimate buyer or investor. It's not, it's not, and I'll go back to my earlier comment of a positive, it's it's negative. And it's it's it this is what you know in some ways taints the industry. It's too bad. But you know, on the other side, it's complicated and it's a beautiful big old building. And I assure that there's a lot of people in the city who want to <laughs> protect these big old buildings. And I get that too. I mean, we have to be respectful oh, to that. Oh, but, oh, but don't I, get me wrong. I have no problem with, with, with respecting the heritage of the building and keeping it and all of that. That definitely isn't the problem. All the other restrictions that come with it is the problem, right? I hear you. Yeah. Well, listen, it's a great building. Why don't you tell us a little bit, um, so your, your partners with, with Liberty there, and you, I think you mentioned that that was uh, a family connection or how did you, how did you end up partnering with Liberty and on, on that so side? I, I, I got to know Liberty through uh, a family friend who introduced me to them over another assembly that I had done prior, which was in Richmond Hill, very small, obviously, compared to what I was doing here. And then um, when I uh, bought the site, obviously I thought about them because um, you know, I thought this would be something that would work for them, and they would, they would, you know, they would participate in. So I um, basically cold called, right? Although I knew them, but I called them again and I said, you know, I have decided would you be interested to look at it? And that's how I actually started to the conversation with them again. So yes, I did know them through um, family friends, but uh, you know, it was more. Uh, me going after it again and talking to them and bringing the project and um, working hard to actually make it so that it would be something that's appealing to them and uh, works for them so that you know they'll partner with me. Nice. nice. So what, what was what was your 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 after after this site? What was the next one that came up? So while I was doing that, I was actually looking at some other sites because what I love to do is I actually love to do assemblies and that's how I actually done most of my projects um not and this wasn't my first assembly i had done it before for townhouses and for smaller projects but this was obviously my first condo site so um i knew about some other um lots that did have the potential for an assembly uh, but while i was doing this um because urban capital was one of the guys that i actually cold called so i cold called uh, urban capital's office and i dialed uh, david wex's extension uh, when he picked up the phone, I said, hi, um, you know, I'm Sherry. I have a site on River Street. Can you partner with me? And <laughs> to be honest with you, um, he is one of the most um, amazing people I've met in my life. Um, as a friend, as a partner, however I wanted to look at it. And um, he uh, actually took the time to speak to me over the phone. And then he said, come to my office and let's meet. And... Um, you know, me being extremely eager to obviously meet him because I was in love with the River City condos. I said, sure, I'm coming. And I, I went there and I started talking to him. Uh, and that's when I only had the River Street site. And he was actually willing to, you know, work with me somehow on it. And that's how my friendship with him started. And um, I, I didn't end up partnering with him on, on River and Queen, but I started, I, I, what I had gained was a friendship with him. And um, when Taya Cook came up with the idea, which I'm sure you've all heard about it, of, of you know an all-female project, I was uh, the first person that um, she called because that's how I got to know her as well, obviously going to her from Capitol's office. So I did um, 
a partnership on the Reina Condos, which is 689 the Queensway, with uh, Urban Capital. And um, I actually recently just did another uh, partnership and another project with them on Lawrence and Marley, uh, which um, hopefully soon we're going to be talking about it. But that sort of uh, led the way to other partnerships with me and Urban Capital. So uh, currently I only have partnerships with Liberty and Urban Capital, but um, you know, you never know. In the very near, near future, I might have more partnerships coming. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the Reina Condos? Obviously, it's uh, garnered a lot of interest and media attention. Um, <clears throat> I know pre-COVID when you were doing, I think it must have been either the launch of the project or the sales launch. You had a, a, some great events. Uh, I know the sales center, I think, is built now and you're under you're, you're for sale. But why don't you give us an update and tell us a little bit about the project and what we can expect so, from the Reina Condos. Yeah, the Reina Condos is the first condo that's fully designed and developed by um, an all-female team. So we're all women uh, working on this site. Uh, um, I am, you know, uh, one of the developers, and Taya Cook from Urban Capital is the other developer on uh, the Urban Capital site. Uh, we uh, hired all the females in the industry for every different uh, uh, sort of field, or all the, our consultants are, are you know, uh, females that are, uh, either partners or, um, you know, uh, own the company themselves and uh, are working in different fields, right? So our goal was to showcase that there are all these females in the industry that are working on all these condos around the city in an answer or in a response to an article in the Toronto Life magazine that had done a page of, look who's building your city, and these are the kings of condos. and. The page, you know, included David Wex and, and Mark Reeves from uh, Urban Capital, obviously. So all, all respect to all the men that were there, but there were only men. And there wasn't a single woman in the whole page. Bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit, right, Sherry? It is definitely <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the bullshit part that was bothering us. It was the fact that they didn't take our pictures to put it there. Uh, but it was just it was just so unfortunate to see because you know I I I knew that you know let's say for example if you know I am trying to sort of make a name for my company and uh, sort of make um, you know buildings and condos and this and that I didn't want the focus to be the fact that I am a female or the fact that I am a female in this industry we wanted the focus to be that we are developers but we saw that that's not something that's happening. And um, it's sort of being the women in the industry are being neglected. So we decided that we're going to do this project. And interesting enough, it got so much attention that it actually proved our point that, yes, there hasn't been enough attention given to the females in the industry or females that are developers. I, for example, don't didn't know any females that were developers while I was looking and calling these developers for partnerships. And to this date, I know of a name of a one or two that I could potentially talk about. And that's unfortunate. Um, so what we wanted to do was to kind of show that this is uh, a field that uh, you don't only have to be a Trump uh, to be able to be a developer, but you could be a woman <laughs> and you could be in this industry and you could be young and you could, you know, this is a 
sort of a profession that you could pursue, right? Because um, the, the conversation, anytime I went to a meeting and they asked, what do you do? And I said, I'm in real estate. They're like, oh, okay, what do you have for sale? You know, just it was just never anything but that. So it was just always bothering me. Why am I only being asked about what I can sell or if I can sell their condo or their house? Why can't they think of me as a developer or someone who builds condos or, or does things in the city? Um, so it, um, it, it brought a lot of attention um, to this subject and we are very happy that, um, you know, we started this sort of initiative as we can call it that, I guess. And um, the, we, got, we got published in New York Times, um, Toronto Star, Global News, CBC, you name it. So the, uh, the conversation kept on happening about this. Uh, and uh, I see a lot of, a lot more uh, sort of girls like sort of contacting me through LinkedIn and other uh, sort of uh, social media and asking for mentorship and wanting to pursue this as a business in the future. And I'm so happy to see that. Um, where we are with Reina right now, uh, we have gone through the planning process. We are selling the condos. We have done pretty well with our sales. We started in October. We launched a project in October. Obviously, it was during COVID and all the lockdowns. So we weren't able to have you know, as big of a party as we were hoping. And I also happened to be uh, out of the country at that time, but we launched a project and um, we um, hopefully are going to start construction in the fall of this year. And uh, our sales center is actually pretty unique, and it's been built. And you guys should definitely go for a visit. Um, it's uh, to us, it's pretty cool and um, very different than anything else um, that we've seen. And we're very proud of it. And um, just overall, extremely proud of the partnership and the actual project. Is the sales center built and is it open? It is built, but the is it open? It's open by appointment. So you can you can definitely call and book an appointment, Steve. <laughs> well, I was gonna say Ben usually likes to get out on the weekend with his kids, and he usually travels to different nodes of the city to check out uh, projects and sites. Well, so I, I was gonna I, say I wouldn't be surprised if I see a picture of Ben on Instagram on Sunday with his kids in front of the sales center. I'm I'm hoping in in the future that we will partner with the award-winning Miso Studios and have some you know Toronto under construction. TV uh, segments where we visit some of the you know sales offices and units of the people that we've uh, that we've had on our show. So we'd love to uh, um, you know go and visit the the sales office or maybe even the finished uh, Reina condo. So yeah, it's it's interesting that this industry. I mean, I've worked for you know many females in the in the industry. Obviously, I worked for for Eve Lewis at uh, uh, at Mark Vision, and uh, you know I'm doing work for Barbara Lawler at Baker. Uh, you know, when I worked at Clayton Research, uh, Patricia Arsenault is now at the Altus Group. So a lot of females along along the line. And I think it's it's very much needed. Uh, sometimes a little too much testosterone, a little too much bumping heads can be a uh, be a problem in 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 getting things done. You definitely hear about some development partnerships that uh, that uh, people stop speaking by the end of it, right? So this is a this is a tough business to uh, uh, to be in. So. It's um, definitely tough. It's definitely challenging, and yes, there's definitely need for more um, women to be involved. Sherry's, in all seriousness, you made a comment about um, <clears throat> about a lot of young women reaching out to you as a mentor. I'm interested in if there was, you know, one piece of advice or 
you know, one anecdote that you would um, you would give to any young woman listening to the podcast, um, what would that be? Go for it. Don't let anything stop you. You have no idea how many times I was told that this is not going to work. This is, you know, we can't help you here. This is not a good site or you've done this all wrong. And if I had listened to any of those, I wouldn't be where I am. And I tell you a story. I When I started building my first um, single family home, um, you know, I, I was super excited. I had bought the, the, the lot and I had the um, excavators there through, so I had a contact and they, they had sent the excavators to the site to excavate. And, you know, me being super excited, I was on site at six o'clock in the morning, obviously wearing my pink hard hat and my pink shoes, because I just, you know, loved it. And um, standing on the site, I couldn't even get the, con the, the guys who were working on my site to answer me back. The guy was sitting in, in, in the machine excavating the site, and it doesn't matter how much I jumped up and down in front of him. He basically ignored me, turned the car around, car called the contact, and told the contact to call me to tell me that he's going to be done in two days. He didn't even bother talking to me. Um, so, you know, I, I had to work really hard to sort of prove to everybody that, sorry, that I am here to stay and I am here to... Um, and I am your boss and you better take orders from me and I am signing your checks after all. So, you know, this is my site. Um, if I had let that sort of bring me down, I would never be where I am now. And I still have a very, very long way to go. I am still at the beginning stages of my business, so there isn't much I can do. But uh, I, I, I think they, what they should do is they should just um, stick to what they're doing, never give up and just go for it. Um, and yeah, you know, don't let anything bring you down. Good answer, and from someone who's who's still getting going, getting a lot of phone calls, two calls and one answer from two different, from what sounds like two different oh. phones. So, not a big deal talking about being popular. Well, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a market anal analyst, so I can't uh, I can't uh, go a podcast without asking your your thoughts on the market. We have a rental market which down twenty percent year over year. The Resale condo market is down down five percent, but all of a sudden resale transactions are going through the roof. Yet new condo prices are still up ten percent year over year. You know, what what are your thoughts on kind of what's happening in the market and, and where you see it going moving forward? To be honest with you, for me, this is one of the biggest mysteries in life at this point because I have no idea exactly where it is going. I can see some trends in obviously my line of work and in my projects, but what I see happening is that I feel like there has been this um, sort of um, I, the idea of people being at home and spending less money has made uh, people have this feeling of um, having extra cash or extra money or, or having uh, or being to afford you know more expensive homes and I think they have sort of moved towards buying houses and homes uh, rather than condos to be honest with you. Um, but uh, the uh, pre-construction sales, I think, are still doing well. And they're still, you know, I can see it in our condo, like we launched Reina and we are, um, you know, sold half, half of our condo since October. Although we've been, most of it has been during lockdowns and, you know, the Christmas break and all of that. And we're still seeing, um, uh, you know, a great demand for our project. Although our project is, you know, the, I think that the demographics that we are attracting is, you know, 
end users, but we can still see that it's it's still doing very well. But to be honest with you, uh, I can't figure out where this is going because I think the fact that the market is still going as strong as it is going is, is because of the interest rates, right? So I think as long as they keep the interest rates that, at the rates that they are now, we are not going to have any problems. But if anything changes, then honestly, I have no idea what's going to happen. So for me, it's a mystery. Uh, I'm trying to figure it out myself. Like I see homes around my area that are a couple million dollars selling like peanuts. So I, I can't figure out exactly what's going on because you know you know that people are losing their jobs. You know that the economy um, you know is in trouble. The businesses are closing down, but people are still buying you know million dollar homes. So I don't know. You maybe you could explain that to me because for me. It's let, let me let, let me ask maybe maybe a, a question more specific to what your uh, specialty is, and that's assembling sites and buying land. You're obviously out there. I know you're aggressively looking at a lot of uh, pretty interesting deals. Have you seen any haircut in development prices, or are you seeing land price? Sorry, in land prices, or is, is land sort of sitting in and around the same price per foot as it was pre-COVID? Well, land is still sitting at the same price point, in my opinion. Um, I think people who have their the lands um, that have the potential for development, they know about it, and um, I think um, they are, um, you know, they're sticking to their guns about their prices, and because they can see that there is a future, uh, and they can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and saying that you know what, prices are going to pick up, everything is going to pick up, the condo market is going to go back to where it was, or even better, and um, you know, I don't, I haven't seen any decline in the. Um, Per square foot pricing for land. To be honest with you, I I see it going as strong. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that. I I, I was I would suggest sort of the same thing on our side. There's not been any. It's not like we were underwriting deals at 200 bucks a foot before COVID, and now a year later we're running underwriting about 150. The sale there's probably less sales. I think it's fair to say there's probably less actual transactions in the last 12 months. But the transactions that are happening are at market, and I mean market over you know an average of, of 18 months or, or higher. Yes, 100%. Well, if you check out the Land Insights report by Will Penn Research and Consulting and yeah, Vittori Man, a little bit of plug on a big deal. Take a look at the land sales. You know, from my from my perspective, it's it's Transactions are are actually not even that much down from where they were in, in 2020 in terms of in terms of a volume. But the one thing that I track is uh, the, what I call the land to revenue ratio. I try to look at every every sale that the uh, land sale that happens and what the value of that 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 property is, um, you know, in terms of potential sale. If there was a condo for sale on that property today, what would it be worth and what is land trading as a percentage of, of that? So the that percentage has started to come down a little bit, which which basically tells me that developers are being a little bit less aggressive in their expectation of future growth in the marketplace. But land, but the, the but the land price is not not coming down. I mean, as you know, vendors are very sticky, right? They know that the guy next door sold for $180 per buildable, and they know that the market is is going to come back. And if it if it doesn't come back just as strong and next year it's going to come back in two years right so why would i sell at a discount now when when the market's going to be stronger yeah two years from now i mean new condo prices have gone up for 26 consecutive years right so it's no it's it's uh it's it's not taking a wild stab in the dark that prices will continue to to go up right so but uh yeah 
so it's it's it, it's interesting. So, so I don't want you to give away your secrets, but uh, what do you think that what do you think the keys are to uh, to pulling off uh, an assembly? Do you have to be as secretive as possible? Do you have to do, do you have to pretend you know nothing about development or what's are you you know is it a complete honesty approach? How how do you go about it? I think it needs a um, um, a little bit of a. You know, you you gotta sort of go and study some uh, psychological psychological books and, and uh, read people's minds and things like that these days because everybody is different. Like every vendor that I approach is is different, right? And you gotta kind of find a way to approach them in their own way, right? Uh, when I approach some vendors and I kind of have to pretend like I, I am um, as dumb as I can be and uh, just. You know, pretend like I am there just to buy the property without knowing exactly what I'm doing. Um, but there are some that are very savvy and I need to speak their language and I need to make them understand what their property is worth and why. Um, and there are some who have no idea and only look at the next door neighbor and how much the next door neighbor sold and think that their property should be valued just as much or, or around the same number. Um, so um, I think you need to sort of... Um, Approach everybody differently, right? Um, to me, um, that's how I have done it. To be honest with you, um, there are people who uh, you need to wait and you need to approach them, you know, uh, not as aggressively as others. And there are some that you gotta approach very aggressively in order to be able to get them to understand. That's the part of the business is just uh, that just you know I I can't wrap my head around is 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 knowing that you need that middle piece and you got the ends tied up, but that middle piece is the one and he, and he knows or she knows that you have those, <laughs> that you have those other pieces tied up. I have, a, I have actually a very unfortunate story about, like not unfortunate to me, but um, I, my Cartier, my Richmond Town condos, um, I started to assemble a lot of properties and uh, while I was doing that, um, I actually did need a, a, a middle property um, because I needed three properties. I had the first one, I had the last one, and I needed the middle one. Um, the middle property was owned by this couple who were in their 80s uh, when I started approaching them. And um, I kept on going to them. The properties were, let's say, valued at, let's say, at that point, $1.1 million. And this guy kept on asking for $3 million. Um, I can I can make sense of the numbers, and I kept on going back to him and asking him and talking to him and be nice to him, take chocolates, uh, send Christmas baskets and this and that, um, and it just didn't work. So I went to him with um, you know a two million dollar offer. Again, it didn't work. I went to him with a two million dollar offer and a and a, a, a job offer for his grandkid, and I don't know, God knows what other offers, and it just um, the guy said no. Uh, eventually, I went back to him for 2.5 because I started to sort of get creative and think of ways to actually make my property um, get more density, and I could offer this guy a bit more. So I went to him for um, two and a half million dollars, and I said, you know, this is my best offer. I am like, you know, basically giving you half of my profit on the project, but here you go. I just have to make some, you know, make this project happen. Um, Tuesday morning, the guy calls me and says, no, sorry, can't do it. I don't think I want to sell it. Um, I, you know, and I say, okay. Wednesday afternoon, I get a call from his son saying, my dad passed away this morning. Would you like to come and buy this property? And I said, sure, I'll buy it for 1.4. He said, okay, no problem, write the offer. 
So I thought to myself and I said, if this father was smart enough and if he was actually thinking about his children, he would have sold at two and a half. He would have sold at two because the moment his kids or his state took over, they sold it to me for $1.4 million. That's a million, 1.1 million less than what I was offering the guy the day before. So, you know, there is a limit to being stubborn and there's a limit to being um, sort of sticking to your guns because nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. The guy wasn't there tomorrow and his state sold it for, you know, $1.4 million, you know, it's a sad story, but it's also something that everybody should sort of think about while they're sitting there saying, I'm going to get the biggest buck for my, for my property. It's just, you never know. It's a good, it's a great story. Actually. I, I actually was, was uh, downtown and I drove by Tom's Tom's place. I think it's called the steakhouse just behind um, the new Carterra development on King street there. And it's just like, it's obviously he was a holdout. He had his business they probably offered him. It only made sense for that building to be part of that development. It looks, it just doesn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden, I mean, no one could have predicted COVID. He had a good business. He probably kept it because he said, you know, I can pass the business on to the next generation. But man, who, who would have ever thought that COVID would wipe out the restaurant industry? Now the business, now the property is for sale. I think they're trying to get a million bucks for it. It's not, it's not even worth that. It's not even worth the, the cost to rebuild it. And in hindsight, it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh yeah, he should have sold. Um, and it's easy for you to say, oh yeah, the, the, the father should have sold for two five, but you are right. I mean, this is part of the game it's, and this is why obviously, you know, there's an opportunity for you to have been successful. It's, there's no mathematical equation to buying and assembling lots. It's a real art form and, you know, the art of the deal or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, the negotiation, it's, um, it's a, it's a learned skill for sure. And it's not easy. And it, t it takes a lot of nerve too, right? Like to buy the two end pieces, knowing that they're only worth what you paid for them if you get the middle piece. Like yes. that's not that's not something that people do and just go to sleep e easily at night. Like, you know, you lie yeah. you lie in bed at night for months and months, maybe years, being like, am I going to get the middle piece or not? Like, I'm all in on the other two. I have to get it, or else I'm blowing you know the bank on these two yes. stupid houses or whatever it is. Yeah, but see, those are risks that I, I took, uh, and I sometimes I. You know, I did have a lot of, um, you know, sleepless nights over it. But, you know, I guess nothing in life comes without taking risks, right? And without, um, you know, you making an attempt at looking at something and seeing the vision and working towards it. Because that's the only thing I could do, right? With that site, it was just I was sure that this guy is going to eventually sell to me uh, at one price or another. But, you know... Um, if I didn't, I would have. If I didn't think about it at that point, I would have missed the opportunity of buying the two other pieces, right? If I didn't buy that one, then it would. When it was in the market, I could have lost it, right? And then going back and getting it again would have been so much more problem. But I think we, you know, the other thing that we also have to do is stop being, stop pretending that we're so smart. Uh, me as as person as a person who's going to buy the, the, this from them and them as people as vendors. Like sometimes people think they're too smart, and that's where the problem happens. You think you're too smart, and you think you're gonna uh, wait it out, and this person is gonna buy it from you, and then you're gonna miss the opportunity. And uh, I think recently I'm seeing a lot of that happening. I'm talking to a, a you know a group which I hope never listen to this because they're I'm never going to be able to get that deal done. But I'm talking to a group that um, knows their property is not valued at absolutely anything without you know my 
properties. And what they're doing is telling me that they have offers um, for such and such. And these are the people that are coming to them to potentially buy this and then flip it over to me, which is a sad thing because they're never going to close and they're not, not never going to pull through with that deal. Um, and they're just dragging these guys along you know, with the false hope uh, that their property is valued so much more. So I think um, that's a very unfortunate thing that's also happening. And those people think that they're too smart and they're going to win the day. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes they don't. <laughs> I think it was, uh, and I'm, 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 I apologize if I'm, I'm getting the person that told me this story wrong, but I think it was Howard Sokolovsky of, of Metropia who was telling me that, uh, you know, that he had one holdout. He had a corner piece that was a holdout. He didn't need, he didn't need it, but he wanted to round out the block, and the, uh, and the vendor was being stubborn. So he said, you know, c come for a ride with me. So he took him in the car and took him over to a few other sites where there was a holdout and said, this is the building that got built and this is the property that uh, held out and didn't sell. And now it's worth, you know, it's only worth a, a, a small retail plaza when it, it could have been worth wow. X in, in that marketplace when it was part of that. So this could be That's you, you know, I'm, I'm giving you. You know, I'm giving you a, a fair offer. I'm giving you, uh, you know, what I paid these other people on a, a price per square foot basis. You can look at the trades and I'm going to give you the exact same offer and, and take it or we're going to move on. Right. And uh, and he said that, that's, that seemed to be a, a um, you know, a tactic that uh, that worked for him. So, yeah. So, so, so pretty interesting. After COVID, so, I might try that. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> No, otherwise, yeah, otherwise. You, so I, I have no way of driving them around, but that's such a such a good idea. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be like, "Can you please sit in the back of the truck?" Yeah, and you know, or in the bus. <laughs> or in the bus. <laughs> or or uh, yeah. But that's a good idea. That's a very good idea. Um, what else we have on? Uh, well, we're getting we're getting we're getting to our near our hour of uh, of discussion. So, Steve put. Uh, um, that you you have a couple kids. How, how are how are they handling the the pandemic? And are are you grooming them to be future real estate executives? Well, I had one right in the middle of uh, the pandemic, so uh, she uh, she's very young. She's only ten months old. Um, okay, okay. So she's not on the construction site yet. Not yet, not yet. And my son. Um, I feel like he might be too sensitive and too soft for the construction business, <laughs> but 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 you never know. You never know. I would, to be honest with you, when I think about it, I um, and I and I look around and I look at the the people in the industry who were able or who were fortunate enough to have their family in the business. Uh, and they took over from their families and I see how they started so much stronger than I did although I had the backing of the family as far as um, support whether it was financially or otherwise um, it, it still meant a lot to have your family in the business and to be able to just you know um, put your, your foot in their footsteps it just it made a big difference and I can see them you know growing the business into something bigger and better and for me I had to start from basically zero from nothing and then grow everything on my own so it, I would love to see my kids take over um, and um, potentially grow this into something bigger and better uh, but I also don't like to force them right um, I love I want them to do what they want to do and go into the field that makes them happy because to be honest what I do makes me happy what I I, I just love 
what I do. I love the challenge of dealing with vendors, putting site together, doing an assembly, going after people to come and invest in my projects. It's something that I love doing and I enjoy it. There isn't a day that I would wake up and I say, I don't want to do this anymore. So I want them to have that feeling and um, I want them to have that feeling in life no matter what they do. So uh, I think I'm going to um, give them the opportunity to test things out and see what they would prefer to do. And if this is the way they want to go, I it's all theirs. <laughs> they can take it home with it. That's a, you know, I think that's a good place to um, wrap up the formal part of the conversation. That That's great advice for probably every parent out there. But Sherry, we would like to end with a little bit of what we call the rapid fire. Da, da, da. <laughs> and uh, five five to ten words. We started with, we started when we were doing this with, with it was supposed to be one word answers. That uh, that never works. So we've expanded it to five or ten words. Ten questions. You're on the clock. I'll start it off and then Ben will go, uh, go after uh, I do. You ready? Sure, let's do it. Okay. If you didn't live or, and work in Toronto, where would you be running your business today? Spain. Spain. Nice. Nice. So the, uh, there was a lot of controversy about the foundry site being demolished. What do you think? Should we have kept it or tear it down? Do I want to get in trouble or not? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, you do. Um, I think it should have been demolished. At least half of it. More than half of it. <laughs> There's been a lot of talks about a super highway in Ontario, specifically north of the GTA. Does Ontario need more highways? Ontario needs a lot of things. And um, highways that need a lot of things. Good answer. Nice. I always get, I'm always interested in that question because with, with the worse commuting gets, the better chance that people will want to live in the core close to their job, right? You know, that's how that's how I kind of think, right? You know, as much as I have clients that work in the in the uh, in Greenfield and do single family developments, I'm almost like, yeah, well, maybe Dougie should expand the green belt because then there's just so much less land that it's going to force that many more people into uh, yeah. into the city into condo projects that might might need my help. But I I would I would never I'd never admit that publicly just because I I uh, I, I don't want to upset some of my developer clients that are both low rise and high rise developers. So Ben, look, good thing this isn't a public podcast on the internet for everyone to listen to. Just right now. Anyways, uh, well, okay. Who's whose turn is it? Mine. Yeah. Uh, okay. Do you think people that uh, have left the city because of COVID will re will regret that decision? Huh. That's a that's an interesting one. Was it five words already? <laughs> um, <laughs> some some will and some won't. I think it's, I can't have an answer for that. No, it's a good point. Actually, my immediate answer to that is like, yes, of course they will. But I also think a lot of people might have left to find find something that they would have never otherwise, you know, not gone after, not chased. I have, I know two or three couples who've gone out east and who are loving it. I think they miss their families because they can't travel out there. But other than that, it's it's something they would have never thought about doing. The problem with it is, is that getting back into the city once you've done that. I mean. It's, oh, difficult. It's an understatement. Yeah. Okay. Next one. But I have 
projects outside of the city. They go for any of them, they'll be happy. I know we're going off topic, but I always find that interesting that people come so complain so much about how high the prices are in, in Toronto, yet they refuse to ever move out of Toronto. I would never move out of Toronto. It's my home, even though it's terrible because it's so expensive. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> All right, Sherry, when I need a month and a year, when will we see LRT trains actually running on the Eglinton LRT system? A month yeah. and a year? I don't think you find it in the calendar. <laughs> okay. For I was going to say by the time the vaccine rolls out, but... Right, that's actually, that's actually a better question. What will come first, vaccines in Canada or trains on the LRT? <laughs> I think they're moving at the same speed at this point, so I can't. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, we'll, 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 we'll take it back to take it back to real estate. Do you think that uh, um, that retail improves the look of a condo project at grade, or are you fine with you know some two story live work units? Do you th do you think you need retail at all, at the bottom of all these projects? Carefully thought about retail will improve it, but. Retail, just for the sake of retail, can definitely ruin the look of I know that the Reina Condos has some unique balconies. What, what, what are your thoughts on on condo balconies? Is it uh, a necessity, or can you get away with uh, with a office-style-looking building with no outdoor space? After the pandemic, I don't think anybody can get away with, uh, with uh, buildings without balconies. Um, the need for that little bit of an outdoor space is here to stay. For sure. Got it. Yeah. Um, what's the next hotspot in the GTA outside of the core areas? Where are you looking for your next assembly? Uh, well, I'm still looking in the core for my next assembly. So I can't tell you where the next hotspot would be, but I'll tell you that I, I am looking at some towns and cities around. Um, towards, uh, you know, like I just bought a site in Port Hope, which I think it's uh, a hidden gem that people, you know, didn't look at that carefully before. Um, so, you know, I am still looking in downtown Port, but... Port Hope it is. <laughs> I love, I like those, I like those small towns, but I just curious the economics of making developments work. You, you, you Steve, you finance a project in Coburg, I think, right? Yeah, we have. We've, we've done a lot of stuff and, um, we have a client, Caitlin, who's done a lot of stuff out in Newcastle and a lot of waterfront sort of marina type, uh, residential developments. Yeah, like there's a bit, there's a market for it. It's it's a different type of underwriting. And the big thing with those um, tertiary markets are two things: one, absorption. So how quickly are you going to sell the units? And two, the deposit structure for condos in smaller markets is a lot different than the deposit condo for for downtown Toronto investors who are buying an investment property at Young and Dundas are happy to stroke a twenty to twenty five percent check of the purchase price as a down payment three years in advance. Whereas if you sell a 800 square foot uh, condo in Newcastle, you know the, the the investor might want to put down five or ten percent. So from a financing perspective, it's a completely different underwriting. And what we do sometimes is we'll add in a facility, and this is sort of like a a reason why a group like Cameron Stevens exists over the bank is we'll do uh, a, a a facility in the loan that is a bridge to deposit. So we'll actually we'll bridge the actual construction loan or, the, or a portion of it 
with some private money to get the actual deal to a financeable state. Just a little bit of you know manufacturing that we do to to, to help those projects in, in those markets. I think the absorption has grown since the pandemic, to be honest with you, with the people moving um, outside of the city core and the fact that people are looking for, um, you know, places to live where the need for being in downtown core and working in downtown core because of the remote work idea isn't um, as viable as it was before. I think um, the absorption is changing in anywhere uh, outside of the GTA, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Ben, last question. I'll leave it with you. You have two to pick from. <laughs> All right. This is an easy question. Beer or wine? Beer, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's a good answer. That's a good answer. Can't go wrong with that. I thought answer. you were going to say both. <laughs> oh, they're both. Yeah, Steve's both. Steve's definitely both. So. <laughs> well, I, 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 my office is next to a beer store. So... <laughs> It's very close, and um, it, it comes in handy. But no, I think beer, uh, to me, is my favorite. <laughs> well, well, Sherry, thank you very much for, for joining us. If someone wants to reach out to you, are you on social media, LinkedIn? Where, 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 should, they, where should they try to uh, catch you? Give, give us the, you know, the website for your, uh, for your company and, and everything. So my website is spotlightdevelopment.com um, and they can reach out to me um, by um, LinkedIn or by email. Um, my email is sherry at spotlightdevelopment.com and um, my LinkedIn is Sherry Larjani. So they can reach out to me um, through any of these uh, ways that I've just mentioned. Prefer LinkedIn or email. <laughs> Perfect. Last word to you, Steve. You know, I made I made a lot of jokes and uh, we had a good time, but in all seriousness, this is uh, this is a it's a great industry historically been very male dominated, but it is nice to see um, some ambitious women taking part in and being aggressive and, and keeping up not only keeping up but dominating some of the men in, in this in their own game. So congratulations on your success uh, to date. Keep it up. I know that obviously uh, David Wex. Is a big advocate of yours, a good friend of yours, but also a good friend of mine. And actually, when you told that story, I remember that time the three of us had lunch, and and sort of the relationship has grown since then. And it's been great to uh, to see you grow, and and not only that, but uh, you know you just did another deal with him, and I know that's very exciting, not only for you but for the industry. So, congratulations. I will deal with him in a heartbeat anytime, uh, in anywhere in the world. So. For sure. Salt of the earth. We're looking actually, uh, hopefully to, to have him and maybe Mark Reeve on together at, uh, at the same time, or maybe two different, different shows. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get that in the works and, um, maybe you could put a word in with Taya Cook. Cause I think she'd be a great guest for us as well. For sure. She will be for sure. I will definitely do that. And thank you guys for having me. And yes, Taya will be amazing. So, um, yeah. I will put in a good word for you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. We appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you, guys. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye. -bye. Bye.